Father, you are worthy. You are worthy of our worship, as too is your Son, Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain on our behalf. Father, he is worthy of worship as well. Lord, we worship you because you are God, you are perfect, you are uncreated, um, which means you existed from the very beginning, beyond even that. And Father, we are created, we are um, here imperfect in our world, just trying to get by, just trying to survive. Father, one of the ways that we can do that is to be able to go to you and just ask for forgiveness if anything in our lives, it doesn't need to be there, anything that's entangling us and helping us to not live our lives according to your plan, any sinfulness, brokenness, any issues that are there. Let's just take a moment, each of us individually, to go to you and to ask for forgiveness, to confess those things. Let's do that now. Father, forgive us, Lord, and help us to be worthy because of what you have done for us. Father, we go through our lives and we try to improve them. We watch TV, we read books, we, we listen, we, we, we try to figure out what can be better about our lives, how much more we can gain, how much more we can get. But Father, we know that because of real worth comes through you. The only way for us to be able to grow and improve is to be able to reach out to you, Father, and have you in our lives. Lord, you're there, you're willing, you're ready to be our God and to, to lead us and to show us the way to a better life, Father, to that abundance that the Bible speaks of, Father, and we just pray that we would grab hold of that, Lord, that we would not be satisfied with living our lives in sinfulness and in brokenness, but would take hold of you so that your purpose may be fulfilled in our lives. Father, we pray this morning that you would just allow your Holy Spirit to come and exist within us, to dwell within us, Father. Lord, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to be working in our lives every single day, challenging us, pushing us to live lives that are worthy of you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm not going to show a movie clip this morning again because um, you don't need uh, help in learning bad language, right? Uh, which is what we're going to be talking about finishing up our series on communication uh, this morning. I figured that you don't need help with that. Uh, we're surrounded by that. You know what it looks like, so I'm not going to waste three to five minutes of your time with that this morning. Um, we are in our new, uh, actually the end of our series, the um, double-edged sword. In English, double-edged means what? It means something that cuts both ways, something that can be good and bad. And the Bible talks about how our tongue, our communication, how we speak to each other is a double-edged sword because it can be both very good and also very bad um, at the same time. Our four-week series that we've been working through is the good, the bad, and the ugly of our mouths. We started with some good issues, and now we're going to be talking about some bad issues. But that's okay because we're speaking through Proverbs, and so Proverbs always gives us the good and the bad there together. So there's going to be some good even this morning. Proverbs 18.21 says this, The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. And basically what the Proverbs here is saying is that, listen, we are going to use our tongue. 
We are going to communicate with people. We are going to speak with people. We cannot go through lives with our lives without communication. And when we speak, we are either going to reap life or we're going to reap death by the way that we speak. And the proverb today that we're going to talk about is going to wrap this up um, by ending on this idea of generating life by our way of communication. Here's our strategy. We've been kind of ducking and dodging and going in and out of these proverbs for the last three weeks, um, uh, talking about these related issues of how we communicate. Here's our strategy. And by the way, just as a side note, if you weren't able to be here for whatever reason, all of these are on podcast with the notes and everything now on the website. So you can just go to the website. You can see actually see the video presentation. You can see the podcast. You can hear it anyway um, and all that stuff. And video will be coming very soon. Don't worry. So first week we talked about finding the right words. Um, and we talked about that one of the things that's very difficult for us as believers, if we're trying to live our lives according to God's purpose and plan um, and trying to also communicate well, um, is to be able to know what to say, when to say, and in many cases do what? Just not say anything at all. The Bible is very practical because it reminds us that there are times when, you know, it's just better not to say anything because we probably cannot muster the strength or the ability to say something positive. You know, we would think, uh, maybe you would think that if you, um, you know what, let me say it this way. Uh, there's a lot of people out there in the world who are always calling Christians hypocrites and always, you know, sort of mocking us because we're not perfect. Um, and they would expect that we would always say something good in every situation, that we would be expected to say that. But the Bible is far more practical because the Bible realizes that we don't have that ability in every situation. To just at times just say nothing is better than the wrong word. Second week we talked about speaking wisely and we talked about the fact that most of us, in fact all of us if we ask, consider ourselves to be wise. But the problem is, is the Bible says that true wisdom really only comes from God. And so there's lots of people on TV who will say that they are wise, right? They may look old, they may have a lot of education, but age and wisdom does not equal true wisdom, all right? Age, education does not equal true wisdom, and I can prove that to you because I can show you lots of people on TV who have both age and wisdom and are not wise and don't buy their products, basically is what it comes down to, right? Um, and so the thing is, is that speaking wisely involves knowing God, understanding who he is, learning about him, and when we learn about God, it is, it, his wisdom comes into our lives, and it is possible for us to speak then with, with wisdom and to speak in a way that will help people. And then we talked about that last uh, second week. Last week, real quickly, we talked about building up our community, and the Bible actually says that, your, that our mouths, I'll say your because I'm included in this, our mouths have the power to destroy not just yourself, your friends, your family, your you know, your coworkers, your neighbors, but actually your whole city and your whole society. That's how bad our tongues can be, that our tongues are capable of bringing down whole societies um, because of the power of the words um, that will, the, especially the damaging words that can come out of our mouths. You know, why do we spend time, I didn't mention this a second ago, but why do we spend time on communication if you're not familiar with this idea? Um, well, it's because the Bible actually talks more about our tongues, our communication, than it does heaven or hell. Why is that? Because the Bible's very concerned about how we live in our world today. How we as Christians go about living in our world, being a part of what God is doing, and allowing God to work in our lives to build up His kingdom here on earth. That's where the Bible is primarily focused on, which is why all the parables of Jesus, well, I won't say all, but 85 to 90% of the parables of Jesus 
have a lot to do with how we live our lives, how we know God first and foremost, come to relationship with Him in this life, and then how we apply that into our world today. So today we're going to talk about speaking peace. Two weeks ago we did speaking wisdom. Today we're going to talk about speaking peace and how we are able to communicate with peace and harmony to people in our world. And I don't mean like an Asbury, and I always mess this word up, height, is that right? Hate, what is H-A-I-G-H-T in San Francisco? Height, Asbury and height, no one here knows. No one here is a child of the 60s? Okay. All right, so anyway, I know some of you are, and you're just not being honest with me, but that's fine. Uh, Asbury and height, whatever it is, um, it's not that kind of, uh, of harmony, but a biblical sense of being able to speak peace with other people. Let's talk about it. We're going to be in Proverbs chapter 15, um, a couple spaces down from where we were the last three weeks. Proverbs 15, 1 through 4, and we're going to look at this, although we're not going to do verse 3, just 1, 2, and 4. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, you're welcome to do that. It'll be up on the big screen as well. Here's what the Bible says, um, talking a lot about communication here in this section of Proverbs. Here's what the Bible says. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Gentle words are a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Okay, very simple this morning. There is some little hidden gems in the original language, but overall, again, a very simple idea here that we can all just grab hold of. Let's talk about three ideas. We're going to look at each of the three Proverbs, three ideas from each one about the, how our mouths can really get sort of ugly and how we can pull away um, from that. First idea is that we must not provoke um, with our words, that if we want to follow really God's plan for our lives, that we want to take hold of all of his uh, vision and his desire for our lives, that we must not provoke other people with our words. Now, when we talk about provoking other people with our words, hurtful words are an easy weapon during conflict. If you have your hand out, you're welcome to follow along. But let's talk about this, because hurtful words are an easy weapon during, our, during, during any conflict that we may have. Let's assume that we go to work on Monday, and one of our coworkers is in a bad mood, and, and we're, we're never in a bad mood, right, of course. Uh, but they're in a bad mood, and you can sense that they are spoiling for a fight. Or maybe you come home from work that night, and you're late, and you didn't call, and you get the sense that your wife or your husband or whatever is spoiling for a fight as well. It's very easy for us at that point in time to tell uh, our coworker or our spouse when they sort of get the attitude going, Right, And some of the words start coming out of their mouth to say, let's just take a step back and relax and talk. I'm sorry for what I did. Let's just relax and talk through this. Right? That's what normally comes out of our mouth, right? No, of course not. Of course not, right? What do we do? What, what happens is whenever we enter into uh, any type of conflict, my wife would like to use the phrase, uh, and I may be using it incorrectly, but you'll get the idea from a technical perspective, but we like to raise the intensity, right? So when someone says, hey, you did this, and I don't like it when you do that, then what do we say? We say, well, you know what? I don't like it when you do this, and I don't like it when you do that, right? And what happens is we sort of up the ante on each one. It's sort of like if we go to, I don't play poker, um, or any of those type of games like that. I don't really know much about them, but I know enough from watching the movies that when, you, when it comes time to bet, what do you do, right? You, you, you put in your piece, and then you go around the table, and then eventually someone else will put in their piece, 
and they'll raise them, right? And there'll be a larger bet, and then they'll see if anyone else wants to raise them, and they'll keep doing it, and they'll keep doing it until they have a lot of money there. And it's the same way. When we get into conflicts, it is very easy for us to keep escalating the situation um, until we run out of chips or we run out of invective, we run out of hurtful words, we run out of things to say, and then we just walk off or get mad or however we resolve it. Different people will handle that different ways. But hurtful words are an easy weapon during a conflict. This is the problem, though. The problem is, is that the Bible doesn't call us to take an easy way out, right? I mean, this is the gist of using our words, is that it is much more difficult for us to not open our mouths. It is much more difficult for us to find the right words. It is much more difficult for us to communicate well than communicate poorly. Let me say something I've been saying for the last four weeks. We all know people who communicate very poorly, right? We all know people who say hurtful words all the time. That's easy. Anybody could do that. If I didn't parent Wyatt and I just let him grow up with the wolves, I don't know if there's wolves, maybe coyotes out here, right? I just let him grow up with the coyotes. When he's 18 and I meet him again, he'll have lots of wonderful things to say to me, right? No. He'll have all kinds of negative things to say because that is what will come natural. It'll be easy for him to do it. It's easy for us to say hurtful words and to provoke other people. But if we want to be followers of Jesus, then it is imperative, absolutely imperative, that our words match our what? What have we been talking about for the last four weeks? Our words match our what? Our words match our heart, right? And if our heart is for, a fo is for following Jesus, and our words are hurtful and provocative all the time, then there's a, a, a problem there. There's, it's weird, you know? It's like I've been saying for the last couple weeks, that if we were to sit down with Mother Teresa, or fill in your person, Billy Graham, doesn't matter, and we were to say, hey, Mother, hey, Billy, how's everything going? And they were to say, you know, I really don't like you, and I don't like that shirt you're wearing. That would seem weird coming out of their mouth for them to provoke us in such a way. We wouldn't expect that, would we? Because we wouldn't expect someone to say that like that. We might expect uh, some coworkers, oh, wait a minute. If we go to an extended family reunion, we know we're going to expect people to say things like that to us, right? Like, wow, you put on a lot of weight, haven't you? <laughs> That's soothing, isn't it? And so we know how to provoke each other. We know how to use words as weapons during conflict. But here's what the Bible really calls us to do. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. It's, it's, what comes natural to us is to use harsh words to each other. But what does it do? It just causes anger and, and provocation and frustration on the part of the person who hears it. Listen, if you are, I, I, I was thinking about this, this all this week, and I really want to talk a little bit about marriage um, here today, because a marriage is one of, the, one of the areas where good communication really can make a huge difference, right? And, and I mean, if, if, if I just think about my own marriage situation, but I don't think ever has my wife said something to me that I didn't like, and I upped the ante on her, you know, I threw more chips in, and it worked out in my favor. I don't think ever, right? Probably never. I, I mean, maybe one time, but I don't think so. But yet, why do we resort to that over and over again? Why do we do that? If we know that upping the ante on the other person doesn't work, why do we do it? Well, I have some good news for you, if you haven't been listening the last three weeks. 
The reason why we do it is because of the sinfulness and the brokenness that exists in our hearts. We don't necessarily intend to do it. Even Paul talks about how he doesn't do the things he wants to do, and the things he wants to do he can't do, right? So it's not like if we were neutral and objective, and we could sort of watch a TV replay of each option, sort of the, the good angel and the good little devil, a bad little devil on our, on our shoulder telling us what to do, that we could sort of pick between the two. No, but when we are in, our, in the moment, when conflict arises... Our sinful nature likes to assert itself, and it likes to say, listen, you need to attack because this person is attacking you, but it doesn't do any good. We don't win that way. We never win that way. If you do win, I'm going to say as a guy, I never win. I don't know. My wife, ladies, you'll have to decide whether you win or not, but if you do, I think it'd be a Peric victory. You know what I mean? It would do basically no good. So hurtful words are an easy weapon during conflict. Again, the Bible says um, that harsh wor words make tempers flare. It makes them really rise up. But a soft response can calm any conflict. Again, the problem with this message series is that we all know this. I mean, many of you could say, oh, yep, I got it. Okay, cool. Check the list. You know, I wrote, wrote, the, wrote the note in the box. Uh, you know, I can fall asleep now, and then I can be woken up in 25 minutes and go out and get coffee, right? Um, and we could, because it makes sense to us in some sort of logical, sort of, uh, you know, intellectual sort of way that if we want to calm a situation that we speak what? Calmly instead of provocatively. But how often do we do it? <laughs> That's the thing, right? How, how often do we do it? How often do we, do we enter into a conflict situation and be like, speak calmly? You know what? The thing is, is that even just saying that now, it's not like we have to be like Luke Skywalker or any of the other guys from Star Wars and use like a Jedi mind trick that's going to calm them down because it's not actually even that difficult. The Bible just says, listen, that if we have a gentle response to people, it will turn away anger and it will work far more effectively than even anything Star Wars could have invented. Maybe George Lucas had a fight with his wife and spoke a calm word and was amazed by how it is because that's what's happened in my life. I mean, Noel and I have been married for like, I don't know, eight years now, right? And, um, you know, the first couple of years we had some conflicts. And I found out that raising the ante and arguing against her didn't really do any good. And so for a few years we've been really trying, I've been, you know, not that I'm perfect, believe me, but we try really hard that when there's a conflict and someone gets mad with the other one, is to just uh, just take a step back and just respond in a gentle manner. And I'm going to tell you what, that just deflates the whole conflict right there. Deflates it. Just, just all the air out of the balloon goes away. Because it's hard to argue with somebody who does what? It's hard to fight with someone who does what? Who just is calmly responding to you. Oh, you can do it. Uh, don't get me wrong. It's possible. Uh, experience teaches me that. But it's not easy. It's much more harder. Why? Because it's like you've thrown a wet blanket on the whole thing. You've thrown a wet blanket on the whole thing. A soft response can calm any conflict. Here's the thing. Studies show that, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but studies show, actually a few months ago, studies show that about 85% or more of you hate conflict. How many of you hate conflict here? Okay, some of you are lying. Many of you are lying. Okay. Um, you hate conflict. A lot of you hate conflict so much you'll go out of your way to avoid it, which sometimes can be bad, but that's another conversation for another time. Um, 
we hate conflict so much, most of us, and then out of, there's like 85% who hates conflict totally, and then there's about 10% who deals okay with conflict, and there's like 5% who love conflict, and that's a big problem otherwise. Um, and uh, what happens is the 85% of us who hate conflict, we still do what? When we, in, all of you raise your hand, you still, a lot of times, when you're faced with conflict, you do what? You up the ante, right? You, we, we're tempted to say things that are hurtful. We're tempted to say things that are negative. And by the way, some of you who practice run away from conflict, again, this is a little bit outside the realm of our message today because each of us is going to be different, but if you grew up in families where your parents, instead of fighting, they just gave each other the silent treatment and they ignored each other, and you do that in your marriage today or you do that in your relationship today, so when there's a conflict, you go away. By the way, that's, nothing, that's not better. You know why that's not better? Um, because all you're doing is you're going to go and you're going to speak those hurtful words that you would have said in the conversation to yourself or you're going to speak them about that person even though the person can't hear them you're still saying it about them so it doesn't make any difference yeah you might make the conflict a little bit easier though i have friends of mine who would who have that struggle in their lives and probably would disagree so the thing is is that when we get into conflict the bible says that the best thing we can do is to have a gentle response. A gentle answer deflects anger. It pushes it away. It keeps us from, uh, it's like water on a fire, you know? If, if, you're, if your kitchen is on fire, you're going to water, you're going to throw the water on it. But if you knew your kitchen was going to be on fire, what would you do? If you knew that your kitchen was going to burst into flames five minutes from now, well, maybe you'd go ahead and call the, uh, the fire department first. But one of the things that the fire department would do, at least... As we've been talking about some of the, you know, we may burn down that, the house. One of the conversations we've been having is, can we, can we burn down the house next door as a cheaper way of demoing it, allow the fire department to do it? We don't know, and it's been a subject of conversation uh, when, we, when we do that in the next month or so. And, um, you know, one of the questions is, is how do we protect the property from the fire department burning it down, right? And one of the ways they would do it is what? By coating everything with water, you know, to keep it so that the flames can't hurt it. And it's the same way that when we speak to other people, that when we speak in a way that's gentle and with understanding, then it deflates, it pours cold water on the flames of hurt and the flames of anger that the other person may be projecting or for trying to provoke within us. A gentle answer deflects anger, and when we are calm, um, then we are able to speak and calm a conflict. Now, let me just mention this for the men. Um, I'm not very good at, um, let me say it this way, speaking with calmness does not mean speaking femininely, okay? Are we, are we okay on that, guys? Because the thing is, is that um, I'm not asking anyone to be feminine, nor am I asking the men to be nice in the way that sometimes is projected on Jesus. You know, uh, popular culture views Jesus as being nice. But I don't know that nice is really what um, he was. Um, I'm also not sure if that's a very good word to describe how we men are to be as Christians. I mean, it's in there. I'm not denying that. But I think that calmness uh, doesn't always have to be nice. It certainly doesn't have to be feminine. It just needs to be what? Calm, right? Y you can say to someone with some force and also some calmness, like, listen, I... I really care about you, and I want to have this conversation, but I need to chill out just for a moment before we have this conversation to collect my thoughts. That's not wimpy. It's not feminine. It's very direct. 
here's what's going on, but I'm speaking in a calm way. And to be honest with you, I don't think that that is any less negative. Maybe you're giving an order, and so maybe that's, there's a negative there. But the calmness is where the Bible focuses on in speaking, and I think that's where I want to sort of hang that point on. All right, second idea this morning is that we must not speak nonsense with our words. The Bible also spends a lot of time talking about speaking nonsense with our words, which is really interesting because I've been trying to think of modern parallels with this issue um, for the last couple of weeks, and this verse is particularly difficult in the, excuse me, in the original language because it gives a word, it sort of gives a picture um, of the way that people speak and I'm not really 100% sure if I can say that what happened in the ancient world still is true today, but I believe it is, and so I'm going to give you my best guess here this morning. We must not speak nonsense with our words, is what the Bible calls us to do. In verse 2, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing, but the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Talking to hear ourselves talk makes us very foolish. When we speak just to hear ourselves speak, then it, 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 it creates a sense of foolishness in our lives, but let me break this down a little bit more. Um, let me see if I've got another slide here. I do not have another slide. Okay, it's on the next one. But the mouth of a fool belches out foolishness. Basically, in the original language, what it's saying here is that when we speak with foolishness, that we are sort of uh, like a burbling stream, that we're like a babbling brook. You know, if you've ever uh, slept um, with a noisemaker. How many of you use, anybody use a noisemaker when they sleep? You know what I mean? Like a white, white noise white, what is it called, white sound noisemaker, and so it'll be, you'll hear a bubbling stream, uh, or you know, they'll have rainfall, you can set it to like eight or ten different things, we use it to help the kids go to sleep, have you ever listened to a cheap one of those, anyone ever gone to like Sharper Image, I know it's out of business now, but if you listen to a cheap one, what does it sound like, it's very repetitive, because it's like a four second clip of rain, or a burbling stream, you know, the noise that a stream makes if you were to put an a, a, a audio recorder right up against it. And what happens is, is that after four seconds, it repeats the track again. And what does it do? It's the same noise over and over and over and over again. And your mind picks up on it. It can actually sort of hear all the different, you know, sort of the, you, your mind picks up on it and can hear how it just is the same thing repeatedly over and over and over again. The Bible here is trying to picture a person who speaks foolishly as a person who just continues on and 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 on, right? Words that have no value or purpose. Some of you feel like I on Sunday morning go on and 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 on, right? But even more than that, it's the idea that we are going on and on and on about, how should I say this politely and keep it PG, um, we're making stuff up as we go along, right? Everyone get the idea of what I'm talking about here? You know someone who sort of just makes up things as they go along and they just kind of repeat it until everyone else believes it? I think this is pretty much what the Bible is trying to say here, that there are people who just like to hear themselves talk. They just like to make things up. They just like to just keep repeating those things until they believe it and everyone else around them believes it. Again, it's really hard to tell in the original language exactly what was meant, but I think it's very close. Listen. <clears throat> How many of us have coworkers who do that? How many of us have <laughs> relatives in our family um, who do the same thing? Who just make up stuff and just to talk, to hear themselves talk, 
and they make up their own storyline, and they just keep telling it. I mean, for me, I, I have several family members. I've had several coworkers, not in church situations, um, but I, I've known lots of people who create their own storyline. Maybe you don't understand what I'm saying. Let me try to say this a little differently. What if, or let me put it this way, have you ever known someone who, as they were going through life, that they decided the sky was red? They read on Wikipedia somewhere the sky was really red. They were convinced the sky is really red. And then they go around and they try to tell everyone the sky is really red. Most people are like, dude, the sky is blue. You can tell me it's red all day long, but I'm sure it's blue, right? And, and, and yet they're unfazed by the, the criticism. They're unfazed by people correcting them, by challenging their viewpoint. And then a year later, you still meet them and they're like, dude, did you know the sky is red? Just like the conversation had been uninterrupted during, from that whole year that you didn't talk to them. Well, I, I'm, I can see by some confusion on your faces. Let me try to, I'm trying not to do anything too personal here. Um, uh, but um, have you ever met someone, let, let's just, I, I, I can't do this without being personal, so we'll just have to, we'll just have to make it personal. Have you ever met someone, um, let's make it about church, because then we're all, we're all on the same page, Okay. Um, have you ever met someone, they come to church, and they're convinced that the church has to be X? Has to be X. Has to have this. Pastor has to wear, I don't know, whatever. Pastor has to say this. Uh, the building has to be shaped this way. The colors have to be this way, right? And for whatever reason, the church doesn't do it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Old, young, traditional, uh, contemporary. Those things don't matter. This church convinced it has to be X, right? Convinced it has to be X. Most of you have been in church, especially first service, most of you have been in church long enough. You've, I'm sure you've seen this. And, and, and they get mad, they leave, or they sit in the back pew, and they just simmer around for a while. And you talk to them a year later, and where are they still at? They're still at with X, right? They can't get over X. X is the way it has to be. And as long as they live, X is the way it's always going to be. You extrapolate that out to the where you live, in your, to, to, to your families. You extrapolate that out to your workplaces, right? We know lots of people who just want to talk about X when nobody cares about X. And X is not really important. As a pastor, since I made it personal about church, one thing that really frustrates me about being a pastor, and it frustrates me not because of me, but because of, of you, and not meaning you specifically here today, but a lot of people I encounter, they're so hung up on X that they can't see Y, Z, or the trees, or the forest, or any of it, you know? And, and, and so what happens is when, we, when we're talking and talking and talking and just babbling on and on and on, it does not allow us to be able to listen, it does not allow us to be able to hear, it makes us sound very foolish. Now, I should edit this out of the podcast, but most of you guys know me for a while, right? I, most of you know my personality. Uh, I struggle a little bit with thinking of myself too much, perhaps, right? But I'm not too arrogant, I don't think. But, you know, a, a lot of times there's lots of people who like to come to BBC and they'll come one service and they'll send me an email and they'll tell me all about how my sermon was wrong and about how the church is all wrong. And I think, you know what? It hurt. You're missing it. You're missing it because it's not about us being wrong. It's about you being X, 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 X. You know? Have you ever noticed that the person at your family reunion who likes to go up and tell everyone, hey, you're, you're gaining a lot of weight. You look healthy. Right? Are those people good at listening 
are those people good at growing and encouraging? Or are they just babbling on and on and on when they speak? Do you go to your family reunion and there's people that when they come and sit down next to you and start talking, that you just turn off your ears so you can't hear them? Yes, I know they're awesome. Somewhere in your, in your workplace or in your family reunion, there is. We just turn off because we know that they're going to do what? X, 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 I use X because I have a background in sciences, so the algebra, you know, X. X, 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 right? And so the problem is that there are people who babble, and this is the issue, though. When those people speak, we feel like saying what to them, which is exactly what the Bible says. The mouth of the fool belches out foolishness, right? We think, you fool, stop talking. Stop talking about this. That's what I think when people email me about how, you know, how my sermons are all wrong. And, and, and by the way, it's never like a, you know, an honest critique. I, f- I feel like saying, you fool, you missed it. Don't worry about how, what I'm saying. Worry about what God wants you to do with your life. When someone comes to me at family reunion and says, wow, you're gaining a lot of weight, blah, 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 blah. I just want to say, you fool. Don't talk about me. Worry about yourself. Because a lot of times they got a lot more right here than I do, right? I mean, now that I think about it, actually they all do. At least in my family, right? And that's not a jab against my family. But that's the truth. You know, when we go to work, we hear people go on and on about the boss wants this and this and this and this, the company do this, 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 you should do this, 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 and they blabber on and on. But it doesn't really bring us to the point where it's, where we want to do anything other than just tell them, to please, we can't say it at work, but we say in our minds, just please be quiet. You're being very foolish now. Here's the thing. The Bible warns us not to be foolish. Why? Because when we speak with foolishness, When we babble on and on, no one wants to listen to us. And God wants us, very clearly, God wants you and me to be able to communicate well. Why? Well, there's several reasons. Number one is so that we can tell people about Jesus without them having their feelings hurt or them feeling like we are babblers and don't make sense and we are foolish. And number two, God wants us to be able to communicate well. Why? So that we will have good, harmonious relationships with our family and friends. Because that does what? Number one, gives us the abundance that the Bible's talking about. And number two, allows other people in our world to see us live our lives well and then do what? Say, I want to be like them. If they have that crazy Jesus guy in their lives because, and that's what it takes for me to live well and to be happy like them, then that's what I want. That's what I want. Talking to hear ourselves makes us very foolish, but the Bible says... A tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. Now, this is a very difficult section here. So let me just see if I can do this. Speaking with wisdom helps others put good into action. That's what it means. See, when we babble on and on and on, then people around us uh, say to us, wow, that person's foolish, and I don't really want to hear them. I don't want to hear them talk. I'm just going to tune them out. But when we speak with good words, with words of wisdom, when we speak helpfully to people, that it helps others put good into action. Let me see if I can break this down. In the original language, the first part of this proverb reads something like this. And this is a literal translation. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge good. Now, what does that mean? Uh, This is difficult. 
nobody really knows 100% um, based on it, but he, here's what's going on here. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge good. And what that means is, is that when we speak well, when we speak good, instead of, because the contrast is babbling, right? We, there's people who X, 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 X all the time, right? But when we actually have a moment to speak with goodness to other people, it makes those people around us want to know what? They want change in their lives. They want goodness in their lives. They'll listen is what it means. When you, when you speak in a way that's not babbling foolishness, but you speak clearly and precisely about good things that are going on, about what God has done, about good things that are in your life, when you speak well to other people, it makes them desire that knowledge that allowed you to do that thing. I think that was the best, all week long, I think that's the best way I could have said that right there. So I got it. Okay. When, when you speak well to people, then people hear you speaking well to them. And by well, I don't mean candy-coated uh, fluff. I mean just speaking in a way that honestly, yet uh, uh, with um, affection or with, with uh, regard for them, when you speak wisely with regard for them, and people know that, and you speak well to them, then it makes them want to gain the same knowledge that you have. It makes it good and right in their life. Listen, let's take it to all three examples. When someone comes to BBC um, and they write me an email after one service and they tell me about how, you know, everything is totally screwed up here and everything's totally wrong and how they would do it differently, um, it does not make me want to call them up on the phone and immediately go, really, you thought everything was really screwed up? Please tell me how to fix it. I really want to know how to fix it, right? No, I don't want to know what they think about that. I could care less. I mean, really, I could. That's the truth. Now, if Ella comes to me and says, Pastor, I got it just an issue. Can we improve this? Of course, I'm all ears. That's different, right? But in the same way, when someone comes to us at work and says, blah, 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 and, and repeating all the gossip and foolishness and all kinds of stuff like that, do we want to take part in what they're doing? Do we want to know about their work so that we can learn something from them? I mean, if you got someone at work who believes the sky is red, and then they come to you and says, hey, can we work together on this project? What do you say? No. <laughs> do I have a choice? No, right? Now, some of you say, well, pastor, we love them, and we should work. Okay, yeah, I agree. But it doesn't give us anything that we want to gain. But at the same time, listen, if there's someone you know at work, or your family, or in your life, or at church, or wherever it is, who says things that are encouraging and godly and good and well and wise to you, then it will help you to understand a little better and you'll want that knowledge. Let me say it a different way. <clears throat> if you go to work and everyone at work knows because, uh, however, I don't know, so, some of you workplaces are closer maybe in uh, how you relate to your coworkers and others, but you go to work and everyone knows you have a difficult situation at home. Maybe something happened with one of your kids. Maybe something happened in your life. You have a difficult situation at home. And they hear you talk about the difficult situation in what? A good, godly way. Doesn't mean that there's not frustration. Frustration is not necessarily lack of godliness. But a good, godly way. Then those people who hear that want to know what? say, well, how can I, if I have that same situation or problem in my life, how can I be like that? Right? That's what it does. And so the tongue of the wise makes knowledge good because it makes us understand, it makes people want, 
when they see people speak that way, it makes them want to know what it is to be like that. Right? Which is all about the gospel there. Because when we are able to speak with wisdom to other people, they want to know how we gain that wisdom. They want to know why we're a good listener. They want to know why we're passionate about people that we don't even know. They want to know why we are willing to love the unloved at work, you know. Mr. Steal Your Stapler and, you know, chew bubblegum and stick it on everybody's chairs underneath in the conference room. That guy, how can you love him, right? How can you love him? And how can your life be at times seeming, yeah, you got heart problems, but how can your life at times seem so perfect compared to mine? I want some of that knowledge. I want to know how to do that. I want to know how to make my life better like yours, right? And that's the abundance that the Bible is talking about. It's not money. It's not any of those things. It's living our lives according to God's plan. When we are able to do that, we, our, our language follows along with our heart, right? As we've talked about, our language follows along with our heart. Our heart is following after God. Our lives look like the way God intended them. Our language looks like the way God intended for it to be. And then people ask us, how do I get the knowledge to make me be like that? How do I learn that trick that you have with your spouse? How do I learn the trick of being successful? But again, I don't mean money. How do I learn the trick of being wise? How do I learn those things? They may not ask us word for word like that, but they're going to want to know. Third idea real quickly here this morning is that we must not kill with our words. As we talked about last uh, week, our words can destroy a civilization, can destroy a city. According to the Bible, they can also kill. The Bible says this in verse 4, Gentle words are a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. And here's what's going on here, is that if we speak with deceit, and we're going to talk about that word in a second, that it will totally crush the spirit, which basically means it will destroy a person. When we undermine others, we crush their spirit. Now, here's the weird issue here. The word for undermining word, which is this translation gives deceitful, um, which is, I'm not sure that's the most accurate, but again, it's hard to tell. The word for undermining word here is very rare in the Bible. It basically means words that are subversive or duplicitous. That basically words that are subversive or duplicitous um, is what will crush or destroy the spirit of someone. Let me give you an example. We all know this. If someone comes to you at work and says, listen, I really need support on the project that I'm going to present in front of the team on Wednesday. Can I have your, can you look at this? Can you give me your support? And you know what? If we look at it, look at their report and say, yeah, I'll give you support. I'm going to be there. I'm going to support you. And Wednesday we show up and we do what? We withdraw our support. We stand up in front of them and say, I don't, you know, I just, I want to, I'm not speaking on behalf of the team, but I think this is really, uh, really bad, Mr. Boss, just to let you know. What have we done? We've undermined that person. And how does that person feel when they're undermined? How do you feel when someone undermines you? It does what? Crushes your spirit, doesn't it? Crushes your spirit. In fact, um, I think that some of the harshest words in the Bible are probably, well, there's some harsh words in other situations too, but certainly this is a very harsh situation because it is saying that when we undermine, subvert, when we act duplicitously with other people in how we communicate, that it destroys them on the inside. Destroys them on the inside. They will never trust you again, will they? 
If you promise your spouse, and I'm guilty of this, I'll just say this right here, but if you promise your spouse that you're going to be home on time and then you're a half an hour late, an hour late, what are you doing there? You're undermining. You're subverting them because you're being too duplicitous with them. How does it feel when someone promises you and they break the promise? How does it feel when someone tells you you're going to do something and they don't do it? How does it feel when someone says that they are going to um, support you and then they turn their back on you at the right moment? Doesn't feel good, does it? The problem and the challenges for us, and this is where we're going to end this series today, is that when we use our words, they have the power to kill as well as give life. I mean, when you undermine someone enough, then you've killed them in your relationship with them, and you've damaged them almost probably to the point of no repair. Fortunately, God is, can repair anyone, and so we're thankful for that. But, you know, in your marriages and in your family situations, if you can do what? When you're, when you're in a situation where you're tempted to undermine someone, the Bible says do what? Instead of undermining, tell them Jesus loves them, right? No. What does the Bible say? Just be quiet. Just don't say anything at all. Because it's hard to know what to say, the right word to say, but we can certainly not say the wrong words. And by saying the wrong words, not saying them, it doesn't mean going into a closet um, and, um, you know, yelling at them and, and all this other stuff because that's, uh, no, I'm not sure that's much better. And ignoring them afterwards for the same reason. Listen, the Bible says this, but healing words give life to the hearer. Again, gentle words are a tree of life, which basically means that when we speak calmly and we speak in a way that doesn't subvert other people, that we're actually giving life to the hearer. Two weeks ago... We talked about the fact the Bible uses the imagery of giving food, nourishing, right? That when we speak goodness to other people, it nourishes them. It actually gives them food. We talked about that on Father's Day. Same way, same imagery here, which is what? Which is when we speak to people in a way that is good, we speak to them calmly. We speak to them in a way that gives life to them, that doesn't subvert them, pull out the, uh, the carpet underneath their feet. When we speak in a way that's good, that they will desire knowledge of that goodness, how we came about knowing that, that all those things builds a person up rather than tears them down. There's two issues that all of you face. Number one is you face the issue of people that you care about. My prayer for you is that, and for me too, is that you will speak goodness to those people you care about. Why? Because it will make your life easier. If you're a guy, you, if you've ever gone into the bathroom and used the urinal here at VVC, what does it say over the urinal? A comedian says this, but it's true. It says, happy wife, happy life, right? And the same way, when we speak words of goodness to the people that are around us, the people that are close to us, it causes our life to be better. It does. Your life is going to be improved. I know it's hard to say something good to someone who you don't really like so much sometimes, but it's going to improve your life. But there's another calling the Bible has as well, which is the need for us to speak with goodness to people who we don't love, right? Because that's loving our neighbor. And the Bible calls us to do that. Why? So that they will know that God is good 
and desire knowledge of him. And if we do that, then we are doing what God has called us to do, which is do what? Love God, love people. One of the great ways that we can do that is to speak goodness to people around us. When we speak goodness to people around us, it shows people that we do love God first and we love them second. And so my prayer for you is that this, will, this series will challenge you, challenge me, not that we're going to get it right all the time, believe me, I know it's hard, but challenge us for better communication, to speak well to each other. When we speak well to each other, we're granting life to them. We will encourage them, build them up, rather than tear them down. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, and just pray for uh, the people who are here at DVC, Father, this morning, Lord, that you would bless them and encourage them and give them the strength and fortitude to speak with goodness, to build other people up. Father, I pray for all of us here, Lord, that we would uh, be able to speak well to each other. Father, I pray a special blessing um, this morning for our church that uh, as we grow and as we build and as we do all kinds of cool things that harmony and peace would be would really reign at our church and that you would help each of us communicate better with each other, Lord, so that we would be a really a community that demonstrates Christ's love to people who come in. Father, we pray this for uh, on behalf of people here, those that are on traveling, on vacation. Father, we pray it for all of us, Lord, that we would speak and communicate with wisdom, with goodness, with righteousness, with truth, rather than with hurt or any other thing. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.